Triple M rocks the NRL 24-7 through the Triple M app. Thanks to Ream. Steady, hot and strong. Install a Ream. Our very own wild panther, Mark Geyer, released a biography back in 1994. Obviously, he must have had some help writing it. The guy can barely read. Now, 28 years later, a lot has happened since. And now, it's a podcast. Welcome to Rugby League Rebel, part two, the Mark Guy story. Don't worry, MG, there's no writing involved this time. In 1994, Mark Guy, the Rugby League Rebel, was released onto bookshelves everywhere. You could get it in every good bookstore, but that was only halfway through the great man's journey. We continue the Rugby League Rebellion here in podcast form. MG, welcome back. Thank you, Liam. Great to be back, mate. I, very, I enjoyed the first episode. Enjoyed uh, listening to Daniel Lane as well. It's good, good to hear Dan's voice again because I've uh, got a lot of lot of affection for him. You know, those for those that missed the first episode, go back and listen because I have not stopped telling people the stories that you shared in that about your time when you first got over to the Western Reds. I've been telling everybody who listened. So uh, it was literally well, the wild, wild west, literally. <laughs> but today we pick it up at Super League time. This is a storied chapter of rugby league history. I mean, there isn't a person alive that follows the sport that isn't somewhat aware of the Super League wars that uh, took over the game in the mid-90s. And you were in amongst it. What do you remember of of this idea of Super League? Well, after we'd done the negotiations and, you know, we're basically we, we were ready to play in 1996 for Super League, but... Um, I think the, the courts were real that we couldn't. So we, we played under a United banner um, in 96, 20 teams still. But we are getting, because the Western Reds have basically run out of money because of what I said earlier. Um, they'd paid for the, the airfares and the um, accommodation of every other team that came over. They were broke. So Super League were paying our wages. And I remember it was kind of a really fuzzy time because we're getting, we're getting a lot of money. And the football part of it, all of a sudden, after having 95 playing for this new club and having my having my passion back for rugby league it kind of evaporated a little bit because I had a son a little son uh, who was one and a bit um, the footy was kind of it was still it was still pleasurable to play but the the uncertainty of where we were going to be was always was always lingering in the background you know we'd sign with super league but we the courts ruled that we couldn't play for super league so we we were playing against NRL, ARL clubs, affiliated. So, and, and I wouldn't say there was any bad blood about it. It was just kind of a, a really murky period for rugby league, and I was right in the middle of it. I was right dead center in the middle of it. So, um, I remember there was a 20 team comp. Um, I think by memory, St. George played Manly, and Manly won the competition that year. Manly were uh, the premiers in that year, yep. One of the games I do remember is that Manly were on a streak of about 12 games and we beat them over at the Wacker to, to, to end their streak, which was a, was a good game. I didn't play, I was out suspended yet again, which I seem to <laughs> find myself a lot in Perth. Um, but I didn't care because I was having fun. Uh, it was a really enjoyable time in my life because as I, I had the house by the beach now and had friends and my family members would come over every once a month and my, my mother-in-law lived with us, so... We're pretty hassle-free. Um, we were having just about to have our second child over there, Montana. She was, she was the only one of my children out of my five children who were born in Perth. Um, so yeah, it was a halcyon days. It was, it was halcyon days that I, I, 
I could, I could feel but my football was was dropping somewhat. I felt like after the after the kind of black hole of 93 and 94 um I was back for that 95 season. I felt like I was back to my best or close to my best, especially the early part of 95 playing for the Reds. But then it kind of all started to sink again. I I, I was finding myself getting suspended for silly things and I wasn't doing extras. I wasn't, you know, working out in the gym away from prying eyes. I was just do, going through the motions type thing. To bring that into modern day, you've often spoke about the idea of you know when a player is playing for their contract because you see the fire and you see the thirst and you've, I mean, you've made the statement that you think players should just be given one year contracts because you know that way you know you're going to get commitment. Is that a classic example of you in 1996 with the Western Reds being paid Super League money? And not really having to fight for anything anymore. Hundred percent, oh, big time. Like I'd gone from you know, not being on massive money when I was at Penrith in ninety ninety one or the late eighties, but always being well paid, and and then kind of losing it all for you know ninety two, only playing a dozen games, and then um, ninety three at Balmain treading water. Um, ninety four, well, basically I lost all my money then because I wasn't. Paying bills and stuff, and so I was I was hungry. To, I was hungry to go to Western Reds, and once I got there, I really found that I was I was having fun. I, I, I you know, the, the the sparkle in my eye was back. <laughs> I, I was looking forward to training every day because we were getting bashed up, and it was it was good to be a leader at 27 years of age over there. Um, yeah, it was it was great, and then obviously Super League had come along. It was like a, it was a big shadow that was cast over the game, and. Um, it was kind of a, now since the '95 season, which I remember fondly. I, I don't really remember much of '96, to be honest. <laughs> I, 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 and, and you're probably right because I was I was on so much money that I was having fun, and I didn't care if I was suspended, and I didn't care if I, I missed out on the the World Club Challenge, which was the, to follow the year after, and. Um, but '97, yeah, 90, once '96 was done, '97 came around pretty quickly, and that's when we what changed. Do you, what do you remember of that moment? All right, so the '96 season rolls on without without really much fanfare. I mean, yeah, uh, the Western Reds that year, I think you finished 14th. Uh, you win four games for the year. You did have that upset win over Manly, who would go on to win the comp. And then '97 arrives, and all of a sudden, for the first time. There are these two national rugby league competitions, the ARL, which I think was twelve teams, and you've got a ten-team yep. Super League. Yeah, it was bizarre, Liam. It was bizarre because this had never happened before. This was unprecedented times in rugby league. You know, we've been going since nineteen oh eight. This is the first time something like this had happened. Um, and, and as I said, we we're right in the middle of it all. We sided with um, Super League. I think there was ten teams in our comp, as you mentioned, um, and they came over and they said, "We're going to." You know, we've got a new design for you guys for your jersey. We've got, um, and you can pick your own number. And we want to have, you know, you have your names on the back because midway through this year, we're going to play in the uh, the World Club Challenge against uh, some English sides. So we want you to be recognised over there and all that type of stuff. And um, yeah, it was it was, it was weird. Everyone it was weird watching everyone pick their own numbers. And it's kind now, of like I know this the... about you. Every time we have ever interviewed an AFL player, you and I, you yep. want to know exactly why they've landed on the number on their back of their jumper. So you finally get this opportunity. What did you go for? I went for eleven. Why? For my favorite. Well, I had my best. I had my. I played my best footy in number eleven. I, I looked over my career, and when the best things that happened to me when I played footy were in number eleven. So while most uh, most of the other team members of the Western Reds went for. 
51s and the four, you know 35s and 23 and mm. um, a couple of us stayed with the numbers that we played in um, but I yeah I I was number 11 because that was the number I had most joy in throughout my footy career you know that was the you know I started in number nine um, because when I first started playing first grade eight um, eight was lock nine and ten were second rowers and 11 and 13 were props and 12 was hooker so we kind of then adopted the international rules, which were where the Pommies were playing under these numbers all the time. So we went to what they were doing. And, um, yeah, I, I had number 11 from, I think, 1989 onwards. Um, so 80, from between 89 and 91, without without being – you know I'm not anywhere near an egomaniac. No. But I, I think that was – them three years of my rugby league career, um, I, was un, I was unstoppable. Well, that's oh. the year you you won a comp, and you. But even leading you, up to that, even leading up to yeah. that, I was nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. I, I was, oh, I, I, I just felt that I was, no one could stop me, no one, could, no one could, no one could come near me. Um, and I think Freddie Freddie Fritler's been on on record saying something similar that, in them three years that MG played, he, he was the best forward in, on the planet. Um, and I, I think I was. And, and again, I, I did. I'm looking back now in retrospect. I'm, I'm looking back, thinking, well, who. If not me, who? Um, and there was some mighty good players, but they were the three years that have you know probably stayed with me f- forever the most. Um, yeah, so when it came to picking our jerseys, uh, number eleven was an, was an easy selection for me. I got to pick it first because I was captain. Um, Brad McKay had gone to sign. He was with. Um, he went back to the Dragons, who had aligned with uh, the the ARL. So yeah, I don't remember much about it that year. That year, because I remember early on we played. Um, we played the the Rams at Adelaide Oval, of all places. It was about <laughs> fourteen. I don't know. You'd probably be able to look it up while I'm speaking to you. But sixteen was, and a half thousand people yeah, at Adelaide Oval, round wasn't five. A bad, wasn't a bad crowd at all. Because then, then after round five, that was when I got suspended for an eye gouge on Chris Quinn. Um, I pleaded. You know, I pleaded that I didn't do it. I, I I had my 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 fingers near his eyes, but I I, th- I said to him it was more of a facial, more of a grabbing his whole face with my hand, which was a shit thing to do anyway. Like I'm not trying to escape the fact that I I got suspended for it. I probably deserved to get suspended for maybe a month, but not twelve weeks. So in that you period, only played co- six games in that in that one and only Super League season. Yeah, and and I, I to be honest, I only, I remember one of them, and that was when I played my debut with my brother. Um, I think it was against Castleford, where uh, I think one of us put the bomb up and the other one scored. Um, I think I put the bomb up for his one of his first tries in first grade. So what, the, that at, was the at the Wacker? At the Wacker. Yeah, yeah that would, so that's in that's in late towards the back end of the season. You have a 24-14 to 14 win, and that's the first time you play first grade with your brother Matt. Yep. And you had the that audacity to, to kick the thing. Did Matt score in that game? I'll look. I'll, I'll, you keep talking about that yeah, experience Matt, of playing with your brother while I look well, into the I'll, info. One of us did. One of us put the bomb up, and that was. I think that was my one of my first games back from. You a both scored that game. Okay, so you both crossed that game. <laughs> it might have been him putting a kick up for me. I don't know, but one of us put the kick up, and one of us scored. And uh, my mum and dad were over there for the game. They, we flew them across to watch us, and um, yeah, that was. That twelve weeks that I was out, I mean, they, in that time, the players all went to my teammates all went to um, on a month tour of England. I, I wasn't allowed to go because I was suspended. So I had what? What could I do? I had nothing to do. I, I was stuck back at Perth and just with with my local mates, just got on the piss. You know, just I was going to say that's that's 
in in that time for you with your level of disposable income and nothing to do. I know you've got a young family at that point. Logs has arrived, but and and Montana, and Montana is on the scene by that stage. Montana was born in yeah the uh, 29th of May in '96. Okay, so Montana so was, and Logs are both home, and Meigs is there as well. Yep. And you've got all this time on your hands. Yeah, it, dangerous, I would imagine for you. Very dangerous, very dangerous, because a couple of the junior reds who didn't go over. I think my brother, he went. I'm pretty sure he went, but there's a few players who didn't go because of injuries or didn't get picked to go on the tour. They picked, I think, a twenty. Two man squad to go for the month, and all them players were looking so much forward to doing it. You know, I was too. I was, I was hoping I'd go as a tourist, but the fact that they wouldn't let me go, so the, the blokes who stayed behind basically spent every minute at my house because my house was, you know, it was a big joint with, as I said earlier, they had a, I had a pool table, I had table tennis table, darts, we, we had everything there. So, yeah, we, we had long night, long nights, and we go out and you know, we'd go out and party um, because. Um, we could. It was yeah. So it was it was it was probably a not a good look. Nothing like it was in ninety three and ninety four when I just didn't enjoy my footy. Um, I really I was enjoying being in Perth because I had two babies to worry about, and I was you know mucking around with them, taking them for drives, and mm. went down to Margaret River and went up to Broome and 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 Cable Beach while I was off. So I I, I didn't spend that time idly. I I had a really good mate playing for the Dockers called Jamie Murillo. Um, I would spend most of my weekend going to watch him play and then we'd go out and party after it. So, yeah, I wasn't idle um, and we didn't have to really much, do much training back at you know, the Wacker or wherever we will we'll, we'll station while they were away. So there was no discipline involved. Um, but didn't get, yeah, there wasn't as much trouble, um, I think. So, I think, so I think. Let's, just, let's just, yeah, <laughs> they'll put an asterisk on there, I think. There might be some people listening to this saying, I remember a time. Let's. I just want to, for a moment, before we get to the, because '97 proves to be your final season with the Western Reds. You'll go back and, the and final, play with, the final year of the Western Reds as well. And the final year of the Western Reds, exactly. You go back to the Panthers, but before that, you made a, a point which I've never heard you say before about that three-year stretch where you believed and felt, and others acknowledged that you were the best forward in the competition. That's that for me. I've never heard you make say that before. And I've heard no, you talk I'm, about your rugby league career for a very long time. Mm. That just can you expand on that just a little bit about yeah, the course. feeling of running out onto the field? And you're a young buck, you're 19, 20, 21, and you have the confidence at that age that you are the best forward out on the park. I suppose it's never been. I've never had to speak about it before because I'm using this podcast as part two of my book. You know, the the part one was already been done from Dan Lane and you heard him in the first episode. Well, this is kind of, uh, this is cathartic for me because <laughs> I have been offered many times to write another book, but this is the only time when, when Tony and, and Josh from behind the scenes here, uh, producers of the uh, the morning show, put this to me um, to do a, a, a podcast on the, the second part of my life. I wanted to do it properly. I wanted to do it. And I wanted to do it like I did the book. Mm. I wanted to be transparent and I wanted to be honest. And I wanted you to be the bloke who I spoke with to do it because I think I, in our four years together, we we, we went from something to, um, from nothing to something very quickly mm. um, because of the trust and honesty we have with, with each other. So that's why I wanted you to be the person. And I suppose you're getting this out of me because I feel comfortable speaking to you about it. And I, and I do. I look back on where I'd 
come from. Um, in 1987, when I made my first grade debut, um, Tim Sheens was the coach. He kind of said to me, you know, you're, we want you to be a fantastic ball player. You, you're great hands. We want you to roam on one of the edges and, and, and do your thing. So I played the first 12 games in 1987 in a row. Then I got pneumonia. Uh, and I was out for six weeks with pneumonia. Um, when I came back from pneumonia, I went to reserve grade and played the last four or five games in reserve grade. We won, we made the grand final and won the competition. So the start of '88, Ron Willie came to the club with blokes like Peter Mortimer and um, Graham, uh, sorry, Graham Bradley and um, Neil Baker and Peter Kelly, and they're the ones who taught us how to be tough. And I kind of thought I, I learned so much from Louis Mortimer and, and Peter Kelly in particular because they were dogs of war. Um, and I felt invincible. I felt, you know, Brandy is halfback. Brandy kind of, Brandy put me on a short leash. He wanted, you know, without saying too much to me, he wanted me to go, go sick him. Um, and I would because I could, because I was told to by Ron Willie. He wanted me to be the scariest bloke on our, on our team. He, he didn't want anyone to run at me in defense. He wanted my tackle count to be single figures. And most games it was because people, other players would see me in the defensive line and know that what was coming. And that would be everything. And, um, I, I, you know, that, that got me into a lot of trouble. But at the same time, I think that most players feared me for, for some, you know, for that unpredictability that I brought. Um, mm. I just couldn't put it, I just couldn't do it consistently because it takes a lot of effort to, to, to do what I was doing. So there had to be a, a valve release and um, over, my, over my career it happened. But um, I, I think just to talk, to, to stop down just, and I realise we're going actually back into the book territory. We will get back into into the move from the Western Reds yep. to the Panthers in a moment. But I do, I, I in, the, in my, the time I've known you and heard people speak about your career, um, we know about the, the ferocity with which you played the game and the aggression. That's so well documented. Uh, and even, even your, your ball playing ability, as you just touched on then. But this idea that, and you, you've quoted your good mate Freddie Fittler there, uh, who agreed with you that that in the era of you know Brad Clyde and Ciro and and these other four like this is there is this three year stretch where where you know there is this belief in yourself and in your teammates that they have the best back rower in the game, best forward in the game, out on the park running around in number eleven. Like it's it's I don't think that's that's probably widely not like widely understood but by um you know fans of the game no i, I look and it's 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 I, I suppose a lot of I, I think a lot of fans realized that i was a really good player um mm. but i sometimes think that um my indiscretions were kind of highlighted a lot more than what i could do on a footy field you know because mm. i always found myself in trouble both on and off the field as a youngster like when i'm I mean, a young player um I don't even know if I could cope in today's rugby league. I don't think I'd <laughs> last a minute. In, you know, and I've always said that with the emergence of MMA and UFC, I think I would have given that a go as a kid. I think if that was around when I was seven, eight, or nine, I would have said to Dad, "That's what I want to do. That's that. that's where I'll that's where I'll get all my aggression out, <laughs> and I can be fit, and I can and I can hit people and and get away with it <laughs> because I'm not going to get charged for assault because of it." So. <laughs> Yeah, footy. Look, I was. They always said that I was probably from a throwback era. Um, even commentators back in the eighties said that this guy, you know, wouldn't have been out of place in the sixties and seventies because of his aggression. Um, and that was highlighted more when when Ron Willie came to the club. And and when you get players, like, as I said, like Peter Kelly and Graham, um, sorry, Peter Kelly and Louis Mortimer coming from the Bulldogs, who were the best team of the eighties, along with Parramatta, uh, they teach you how to be tough. 
and you and, and fearless mm. and um I, I i took that i really took that to heart well over the years i've seen i've seen the the awe and the reverence with which the current day players hold you whenever they've come into studio or even been on the phone with us and and there is that uh, i think the the players who who saw you growing growing up and even even the younger ones these days like the the Boyd Cordner's um recently retired the reverence with which he would talk about you and speak to you when they would come in Sonny Bill Williams I remember the way he spoke about you as a player and as as an inspiration from him it I think that speaks volumes for your career let's jump back into the future or back into the history and then into the future again you wind up the Western Reds wind up like, or, the, or the, when did you yep. know that your time at the Western Reds and the Western Reds club was coming to a close? Um, a couple of things happened. I remember we're out playing table tennis and I heard a scream from inside and it was, it was Meigs. And she goes, oh, no, no. I thought, What's, what the fuck's going on? She said, Princess Diana just died in a car crash. Oh, jeez. It's one of the moments I remember where I was. Um, and it seemed to be not long after that that we kind of were told um, that the Reds were in trouble. I remember the, the timeline was around then. It started to really mm. escalate. That They said that the Reds aren't viable. We, it's, it's, we're finding it hard to, you know, blah, 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 pay bills, all this type of stuff. So mm. in, in other words, we were told in, I think, I think it was mid-September. Yeah, of, well, of Princess not, Diana of, passed away on the 31st of August, 1997. There you go. There you go. So it was started to be in September. It was September when we started. To, they started to say, "Boys, I think you should start looking for another club because I don't think we're going to be around." So most of the team were, were told that this new entity called the Melbourne Storm coming in in 1998. They wanted half of our squad, um, including my brother. Mm. Uh, they didn't want me, but. They didn't want me, and I couldn't blame anyone for the way I played in 1997. I, I wasn't a real good job interview, um, playing you know six games and being suspended for an eye gouge, and how the mighty had fallen, you know. And so what I had to do was ring Roy Simmons, who was the coach at Penrith now um, at this at this stage. He was, I think, from '96 to 2001 or something. Royce was coach, or and I can be, you know, mightn't be right on the money, but around that time. So I had to basically put my tail between my legs for the first time in a long time because the way I left Penrith in 1992 wasn't real savoury. I I hadn't gone out at my sword. I'd, I'd basically given it to the club for the way they treated me, um, said I'd never be back and burnt a lot of bridges. So when I rang Royce, he so said, So you oh, picked mate. up the phone to Roy- Royce? Yep, straight to Royce. I said, mate, I'm, I'm, we're folding. And he said, I have to get back to you, big fellow. He said, I've... I've got to talk. Mark Levy was the CEO. Um, Don Feldus was the uh, the boss of the club. Or he was he was you know, and Don was one of the blokes that I'd really given it to and the board of directors when I left. Um, Did you pick up so, the phone to anyone else, or was it strictly the Panthers? Did you make any other phone calls? No, I don't, no, just Penrith, just Penrith. I wanted to go back to Penrith. I thought that was where you know I I, I wanted to get home basically because I I left there in such bad circumstances that I wanted to redeem I wanted to change all that and um and as I said it wasn't a good real job interview playing six games in 97 <laughs> and one of them it was against I played one against Penrith where I just went ballistic one day screaming at their team and I was just <laughs> I was out of control so Royce was watching me going this guy's he's he's, he's lost a plot <clears throat> I can I can I can I can't. I can forgive him for thinking that because I, I look like I, you know, I was I was losing it because I was, you know, just wasn't playing good footy at all. Anyway, 
I ring him up. He said, I'll get back to you in a couple of days. So he got back to me a couple of days. He said, mate, um, spoke to the hierarchy. And don't forget, I was, they didn't have to pay me a cent because I was still getting paid for Super League for another two years. And this is the back end of your big contract that you've gone in and negotiated yourself. Great coin. And so no, so 90, the Super League money started in 96. Yep. Um, and it was a four-year deal. So I had 96, 97, 98, 99. So the where, Panthers are being offered <clears throat> Mark for Geyer for free. For free. For free. And, and yet they still had to discuss it. They balked. They still balked. So I had to go straight back to Penrith. Um, when I got back, he said, look, we're gonna, you can come back, but you've got to do a lot of testing when you come back. And we want to drug test you straight away. Uh, we want to drug test you um, every week you're back. Um, you've got to go to anger management um, psychology. And that was that's the, that's the one that I was kind of you know. So anyway, I, I said, look, I'll do anything. So what I did, we packed up, we went back on I think early October of '97, and the house I live in today, um, the compound, I bought that in 1992, and but for two hundred twenty thousand dollars, and then I basically just forgotten forgotten about it. I'd rented it out for you know the last six years and. I come back to got back to Sydney and Mum and Dad were living at Cambridge Park and I said uh, I, I I hired a caravan for me and my um, wife Megan and our two kids um, to live in. Um, so we got back to Mum's house and the caravan was parked out the front and it was middle of summer. It was so hot, so we said we can't live in that. So we're going to move inside. So for three two months. Um, my mum had you know, mum and dad and my sister and um, uh, yeah, not my older, my only one of my sisters, plus us, me and Meigs and uh, Montana and Logan. And then I realised, I said, oh, "What about my house at South Penrith?" <laughs> I didn't. So I got, I ring the real estate. I said, "How long's the lease on that to go?" They said, "They've got till February." I said, "Awesome." So I said, "I want to go back in there and start, you know, the repayments and stuff." So we moved back into the house in February. Pre-season had already started. I started pre-season training at Penrith. And this is where, this is where it changed again. This is where everything changed again because, because I was under so much scrutiny coming back to Penrith. I had a lot of young kids looking at me like Tony Pulitua and Frank Pulitua and Reese Wesser and Ned Kadich and um, all, the, all these, Reese Wesser, I mentioned him, all these young kids who were Craig Gower, all these kids were coming through the system. Uh, Steve Carter was still at Penrith. Um, they're looking at me with skepticism, thinking they've, they've heard about this guy, how good he was. Now we're hearing and seeing how, how he's fallen. I don't think he can come back. And I didn't think I could either. But a bit like I did at the end of the Yamanis uh, season, come back to Penrith, lived at mum's house, had you know mum's cooking, got up every morning at 6.30 for our bash-a-thons, and they put me, Royce put me in a group with all the young forwards. And every day we'd go down to the river and we'd do these runs. We, we'd, do, we'd start off with four 100s, then do eight 200s, and then do four one kilometres. And we are timed on them. And I, was, I won every run. I, won, I was beating all the guns. I was, I was as fit as I've ever been in my life. And Royce made a point of saying something in front of the playing group that um, exactly what I just told you. We, we didn't want to bring the big fella back. We, we balked. 
Um, but now we're glad he, we're glad he did. Um, and, so, and, Roy, and Roy said to me, you're going to be a front rower. Your, your second row days are over. Um, you know, back when I came back from Perth, it was unlimited interchange. So you could play four minutes and get replaced. You know, so um, that's that happened to me a lot. It was you know, going for 10 minutes, come off, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it was very hard to get a rhythm of the game. But, but I was fit. I was really, really fit. And um, 98 had a, had a decent season. 99 was, was interrupted because I had, a, um, I had a couple of big injuries in 99. One was a, a back injury, which um, I had to have an operation for. It was called a discectomy that I had to undertake, Ooh. which was a three-hour injury, a three-hour operation on my back to fuse stuff with the lower back. And I think I was out for 12 weeks for that. And then I broke my finger, which I've still got today, with 11 pins in it. So 99 was, 99 was a bit of a write-off. Um, come around the pre-season of, 20, of, of uh, 2000, and I was feeling good again. I felt, I felt really good. I think I played nearly every game that year, if you've got stats there in front of you. In, of, in the 2000 of, season? In 2000, I played most of the, most of the games off the bench. Um, but there was guys like Jody Gall and the Gordon Falcon and um, the Pulitzer brothers, and these kids were just pulling me along with them. And I, was, I was having the time of my life. I was really enjoying my footy, coming off the bench, Wearing number fourteen most games, um, having no pressure upon me, and we made the. You played, you played twenty three games. <clears throat> yeah, there you go. So that's twenty what, off that was... the bench, but but twenty three yeah. games. And I kind of made that my specialist position, the, you know, the off the bench, and I was making impact every time I'd come on. I'd make an impact, so I really started to enjoy it. Hmm. Um, we got to the, but then towards the end of the, I remember I got I copped a knock. Um, I went to tackle Nathan Long. He, he was a, he was a, a Cronulla Sharks back rower, real blonde hair. Hmm. And we're at Penny Park one day, and I went to tackle him, and he, my head hit his hip, and it was a really innocuous thing that happened, and it was the worst concussion I've ever had. <clears throat> I was dazed for I was dazed for days, um, didn't remember, remember the game, didn't know how I got home, all that type of stuff, and so I, last game of again. the regular season that was against that, the exact, Sharks, exactly right, and the, you had the a week forty-four later, to six, you had a forty-four to six win. And, the and then you're up played, against Canberra in the qualifying final, and they beat us. Yep. Then we had to have a um, then we had to have a a knockout game against Parramatta, maybe the week yep. later. Correct. Okay, so the, so the, the the Raiders game was my last game because I yeah. I copped another knock. I copped another knock, and I come off, and I said, "That's it." I was sitting in the in the dugout there at Canberra, and I'm thinking, "That's this is my last game. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore." Anyway, so. One or two months had passed since the season finished. Um, everyone was convening for, um, and that's for, the for end pro- of your, and that's the end of your end of two thousand. That's the end of your Super League contract too. So you ninety six, ninety seven. I was on no ninety nine was. Um, so in, for two thousand, I was getting sixty k a year from from Panthers. Okay, so that's just before because we know that. Spoiler alerts, MG MG's career finishes. But before we get there, so. You come back to the Panthers with your tail between your legs. You're ready yep. to make amends for the way you left the club in 92. And you land back there in 1998 on this on the last year of your, your big money deal. Yep. And then yep. in 99, they decide uh, Penrith, to... Penrith paid me. Come to the table yeah. with, a, with, a, with a bargain basement. I, th- I, think, I think 120, maybe. Sure. One, 140. Yep. Um, but, because and, I'd but, proven... And then for my last year in 2000, they said, look, we've got no money, mate. We're out. They said, we're going to offer you 60K. I said, I'll take wow. it. I'll take Cause you, it. Because so you just wanted to keep playing play. for your, your home club. 100%. I had a lot of, I had a lot of time to, to make up. 
And then I was ready for the 2001 preseason, getting ready for that. And we're about a week away from training. And, and I got a phone call from Royce. He said, um, big fella, can you come in and see me at the training facility? I said, yeah, sure, buddy. No worries. I thought he's going to come in and tell me, you know, what's ahead, what, what he wants me to do in the preseason. And, and when I walked into Royce's office, he had two big TVs set up. And I said, oh, what do you want me to see? He goes, just sit over here with me and we'll watch these two screens. So on the left-hand screen was me in my prime, or probably in the, probably even before I was in my prime. Me is a, looked like I was 19, just, you know, just a monster. Well, this is, this uh, is as you quote, best player, best, best forward in the comp, MG. I, I, yeah, I think in, I, 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 I was, I think yep. I was. I, I believed I was, and that's probably so why. So on one I, screen, we've got the the best forward in the comp, version. Mark Guy, yep. running around. And then on the other screen, he had a picture, of, uh, of some vision of me, a cut up. So he'd done his, re- he'd done his research, boys. <laughs> God love him. Because he made these, he made like a, a two-minute clip of, of me in my prime and then one of me in my last season. And I said to him at one stage, I said, why are you putting the one on the right in, in like slow motion? What do you, what do you, is that, is that the point something out? He goes, no, that's that's normal motion. He goes, that's how, that's how I want you to see for yourself how different you have. I went, wow, wow. So I was thirty-two at this stage, mm. and honestly, I looked like a I looked like a slow dinosaur. I, I thought <laughs> I, I just looked like a big trundling thing who didn't want to get hurt, and it happens. Age makes cowards of all of us. Yep. <laughs> and I'd turn into this bloke who. Didn't want to get hurt on a footy field anymore. And it showed. I didn't realise it until he showed me it, but that's why I got the knocks. That's why I, that's why these knocks happen so innocuously. What's that word? Mm. Innocuously? Innocuously. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's close enough. It's good enough. <laughs> and he said, mate, I don't want you to be that player that plays that extra year and everyone remembers you for that bad year instead of remembering you for what you've done when you've come back to us. And I said, you and- know what? I got up out of the chair and I shook his hand. I said, mate, thank you. I said, thank you for saving me from myself. You, so just, you were you accepting have. of that at the time? Because we was. know it's so rare that athletes leave at the right time. We never see athlete, athletes leave a career early. Rarely do we see them leave at the right time because the life that is offered to professional athletes is one of privilege and and, yep. and finance and, and celebrity. So it's hard to walk away from. But you were appreciative then and there of what Royce had done for you? Well, at this stage, I had three kids now. Kennedy was born, my second daughter. Um, she was born in 99, and I had three kids. My first thing, my first thought thought to was money, and, and, and where am I going to pay the bills, and what am I going to do? Because I didn't think, it, I, I had a bit, uh, I had somewhat of anxiety come uh, sweep over me. Like I had this first, for the first feeling time ever in my life, ever in my life. This was the time that I first had this heart palpation was going, and I had I was I thought I had to sit down because I went oh shit what what do I do now what am I going to do now like what what now what I went fuck I don't know what to do I've, I've never done anything else I've done a bit of coaching clinics from at schools and you know I've I've done this and I've done that what am I going to do so I had to I had to knuckle down with me and and, and work out a plan and, and so what did pl- you do well that plan was to not say no to anything that came our way. I said, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask a hundred people for jobs and different jobs, and I'm going to keep asking. And I'm not going to say no to anything they want me to do, from builders, laborers to to selling merchants, whatever. So, luckily for me, 
um, an ex-player called Luz Vanovic had a company in Penrith uh, called Scats Sportswear. And Stevie Carter had been working there and uh, as a casual. And I spoke to Lubo after, after probably five or six calls from other people who said, mate, I've, we've got nothing here. Like I said, okay, fair enough. If you have, give me a buzz. Mm. So I, Lubo said, look, come to me. He said, we can give you 750 bucks a week. Um, okay. We'll give you a, 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 a Commodore. And what you've got to do, you've got to put all the stuff in the back of your car, um, all the product with their T-shirts and the singlets and the tracksuits and go to schools and footy clubs and sell it for us. Yep. And I went, okay, oh, that's, that's right up my alley. Beautiful. And in, in, in the same week that I accepted that job, C91.3 radio station rang me up and said, Rob Duckworth was there. And we know Rob, <laughs> the, Rob Duckworth from yes. Triple M. He said, "Big fella, I heard you retired. How would you like to do?" Um, how and and at the same in the same week, same week, three things happened: the job, yep. the radio, and Sunrise. I was um, before Koshi was. Um, oh, it was it was Georgie Gardner and it was Chris Reeson. Okay. Every Friday, it was me um, in the studio, and down the line at Melbourne was the big fish, Paul Salmon. So me and him would do a rugby league preview and review every Friday and Monday. And then on the same day as me, as I was driving home from there, I'd do the preview and review for C91.3. So this is, and we'll, we'll keep our powder dry on the media because this is where we're going to go a bit later on. We are going to get stuck into the, your second act as a, as a, as a fixture of Sydney radio, but you go from being a rugby league player with a with a storied career behind you to selling t-shirts, sports t-shirts out the back of your car at footy clubs yep. and at schools and doing uh, a radio on a TV cross twice a week. Yep. And that's life for you now as a father of three living in the first house you, you the house you bought with your first contract back in 1992. Um no, I bought mum and dad a house in 1988. That was the first house I bought at Cambridge Park. First first house you bought for yourself. Yep. 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 And, and 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 yet here we are. And what are you? Thirty-two years old, thirty-three years 30, old. I was thirty-two, going on thirty-three. Yep. No, I was thirty-three because yeah, I was I was thirty-two when I retired, and I turned thirty-three in the December. Um, Look, we're gonna we are going to unpack you as a father because I know that is such a big part of your life. In the next episode, we're actually going to speak to some of your kids, which I'm really looking forward to. But at this point, do you have the moment you, you're 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 now a retired footballer, mm. and how does that sit with you? How because we know how athletes can get wrap up so much of their identity in in their well everyone does it not just athletes but we wrap up our identity as a person in the job we do particularly for athletes we see mm. so many of them after they finish up they don't know what to do next how did the notion of being a retired footballer sit with you well i was, I was, I was lucky again with royce because royce said to me look i want you to stay involved with this team because you've been such a good inspiration to the young fellas coming through they love you i want you to be the forwards coach as far as extras like you won't be on our books but we'll give you a certain amount of money to take them twice a week to a, a local PCYC or a local a gym mm. where well, I took them to one in St Mary's um, Roy Alexander's gym and I'd get him in the gym and spar with each other they'd throw you know put the mitts on put the gloves on and I did that for six months 
until I, I got sick of it because I wasn't doing it myself. I said, Royce, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, I, I, I realise now that you, I've made the right decision of not being a footballer and I don't really want to be involved in football anymore. I would rather do it with my boys, uh, my, you know, the younger yeah. kids coming through. So so you um, never had uh, coaching, in, you never had that no. five for coaching? No, never, never had it. No, I, I'd, I've seen what, it, get, what how people change and, and what they go through and how hard it is for them and I, I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy, honestly. <laughs> That's why I've got compassion for the local bunch, the, the latest bunch, you know. It's, yeah. Um, it's a very hard job, but yeah, it was uh, from uh, it's, it's so 2001 is when this the opportunity started, and then um, I'll, I'll I suppose the next episode we'll get into exactly what happened and how I got into the uh, into the media, wow. or oh. or after my kids have a chat here, which will be very very interesting. <laughs> Can't wait. For so that. there it is. We're, we've arrived at 2001 in the rugby league rebellion, and Mark Guy, the footballer, has come to a close. Yep. Next episode, we are going to explore Mark Guy. Dad, the father, and mm. not to overstate it, but in the time I've known you and in the time we've worked together, I think I can confidently say that Mark Guy, the father, that you as a dad, that's the most important part of your life. Mm. Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah, football has, has given you everything, but your, your, you and the father to the, your five kids is, is so much more about who you are as a person. So it, it's made me who I am. It's it's made me who I am today. I, would, I don't know where I'd be without well, my, my wife. My wife's been my my biggest my biggest support for for so yeah. long, Meigs. And we met when we were eighteen, and here we are. We've just been married uh, twenty nine years. So wow, uh, together thirty, been together thirty six. Um, yeah, and and my kids are what I live for today, and that's that's the. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a very, um, I'm, a, I'm a, an emotional guy and yep. just don't fuck with my kids. Next, 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 next episode is I, I, I'm short odds to get tears out of MG because, uh, with, mm. with a chance to chat with a couple of his kids and to explore that side of you as a person, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm excited that, that, that everyone else will get the opportunity to peek inside MG, MG, the dad, not, um, not the, not the rugby league player. So there it is. Episode 2 of Mark Guy, The Rugby League Rebel, Part 2, The Rebellion Continues, MG. Uh, thank you, and we pick this up next week. Can't wait. Rugby League Rebel, Part 2, The Mark Guy Story, drops every Wednesday, 6am, on the Listener app, live and exclusive. Triple M rocks the NRL 24-7 through the Triple M app. Thanks to Ream. Steady, hot and strong. Install a ream.